Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. I want to encourage you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to John chapter 7. We'll begin reading there in just a moment, John chapter 7, and we're going to begin reading in verse 37 shortly. John 7, verse 37. The title of this morning's message is The Filling of the Holy Spirit. We're beginning a new series of studies starting today and going through the month of June and July. The title of the series is called The Lost Disciplines of the American Church. The Lost Disciplines of the American Church. There are some practices and things that the New Testament describes very clearly that I believe our fathers understood much better than we do in our generation. And so, we want to give attention to this, and our 242 groups will be taking these topics and studying them and talking about them further in their meetings in June and July. Last month, the Pew Research Center in Washington, D.C., released a report that was entitled America's Changing Religious Landscape. And it documented changes in denominational growth or decline from 2007 to 2014. What they found was that most Protestant denominations, most mainline denominations, declined somewhere between 2 and 3% in participation. Uh, evangelicals, and we would be represented as evangelicals, as Bible-believing Protestant folk, whatever you want to use to describe us, but those of us who, who give careful attention to the Scripture, evangelical Christians did not decline uh, in any significant amount, but we didn't grow either. As a percentage of the American population, we hover around 25%. Now, about 17% of the American population is, is in church on Sunday, And so I don't know where the others are, but about 25% will claim to be evangelical Bible-believing Christians. But you know where we saw the greatest percentage of growth in terms of religion in the United States? We saw it somewhat among non-Christian religions, but the greatest area of growth, 7% of the population grew to identify themselves as having no religious affiliation. None. In fact, some people have taken to calling that group the nuns. They have no particular identity or religious connection. I think that's a problem. If you were to ask the average Christian to define what a Christian is, I think you'd get a variety of answers. Well, a Christian is somebody who attends church. A Christian is somebody who embraces basic teachings of Christianity. A Christian is someone who's morally good. A Christian is someone, if you get into politics or you get into areas of ethics, then we start getting defined in those terms as well. But if you were to go back to the beginning, some 2,000 years ago, and you were to ask Peter and Paul or an average Christian, one that's not even mentioned in the New Testament, what is a Christian? They would say something very different. A Christian is a man or a woman who is inhabited by the Spirit of God. A Christian is a man or a woman who is inhabited by the Spirit of God. The Apostle Paul would say, you know, it's not going to church, it's not going to a temple that defines you as a Christian. You are the temple. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you. 
And it's the marker of every believer. I heard that cough over there. I just want you to know my grandson is in the room. And I'm not going to point out where he's sitting. Or that he's sitting with his mom. Or his aunts. Or his grandma. But it's nice to have another man in the house this weekend. I'll just say that. In the Old Testament, God made a covenant with his people. God made a covenant with his people that went something like this. He said in, in, in the Old Testament, he said, I'm a holy God, and I made you to be my people. And your calling is to glorify me with your whole life. So I will be your God, and here are my commandments that you need to keep in order to bring honor and glory to my name to be my holy people. Now, here's the problem. When they got those commandments, when we saw those commandments, even today, the big problem with those is they are good, and they are true, and they are right, and we ought to live that way, but we have no power to do it on our own. The problem with the Old Testament or the Old Covenant is that we have this agreement with God where God says, I'll be your God, you'll be my people, if you keep these commandments. And we have no power to keep those commandments. So he began to reveal a new plan, a new covenant. We read about it in Ezekiel 36, verse 26. He said, I will give you a new heart. This is the Old Testament now. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone. And, and, and think about that. A heart of stone, how responsive and tender would a heart of stone be? He says, I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, one that's tender. And what does that mean? He says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statute. So God's new way of life is not based on how well you keep the rules, but the new way of life is that Jesus was going to come, fulfill all the rules, fulfill the righteousness, accomplish everything necessary for our salvation, die for our sins, die so that you could be made clean, and then he says, I'm going to send my spirit within you to accomplish in you what you cannot do in your own strength. So with that background in mind, I want you to hear the words of Jesus Christ in John chapter 7. Verse 37, on that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now this event occurred during the Feast of the Tabernacles and there's so much symbolism here that we could talk about. But let's just focus on Jesus' words. The Father sent the Son to do for you and me what we could not do for ourselves. We could not live a righteous life. We could not fulfill the commandments. If we break one, we are told that we have broken all of them. And once I have committed that sin, I can't remove it from my record. I can't, I can't make myself clean. And so Jesus comes and he reveals the Father to you and me. He lived a human life, as we studied the last six weeks, that was fully at rest in the will of the Father, doing everything that the Father wanted him to do. And in so doing, he... he lived the only righteous life that a human being has ever lived. 
And when he ascended into heaven and he sat down, his work was finished. The work of creating the righteousness that we desperately need, the the work of wiping our sins away by, by dying for us on the cross, his work was finished. In that moment, he was glorified as he was seated on the throne. And at that point, the Father sent the Son, and now the Son sends the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit now can come to us who in the sight of God are clean, and we can now be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. He said the Holy Spirit was not yet given when Jesus spoke these words because Jesus was not yet glorified. Well, now he has been, people. He has been glorified. And so he has sent his Spirit into the hearts of every person who has trusted in him. Only forgiven people can be indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what the church in America has lost. I want you to imagine that you and I are meeting at Daylight Donuts. You know, we had National Donut Day last week. And then it was followed by National Dale Donut Day. And so this is, this, let's just pretend we missed that and we decided to catch up. So you and I are having donuts every morning this week at Daylight Donuts. And as you and I are sitting there, we're talking, we look out the window and we look at Falls Drive and there's a man pushing his truck to work. And we look at it and we think, well, he must have run out of gas or his engine's not working properly. And so he goes by. The next morning, you and I are sitting there talking, eating our donuts, and the same man goes by pushing his truck to work. And this goes on on day three, day four, day five. Of course, we're not the kind of people to run out and help him. We're just watching and observing. And you know what? So much of the church is living that way. The American church is not thriving because we don't have the principle of life flowing through our lives. We are trying to take this Christian life that Jesus, we have received as a gift from the Lord Jesus when we put our trust in him. And he did give us his Holy Spirit. You have received fully of the Holy Spirit. He lives in you if you're a Christian. But then you proceed to go about and live your life the same way the people in the Old Testament did, as if the Holy Spirit didn't live in you. In your own strength, in your own effort, in your own ingenuity, trying to be the best person that you can be, solve your problems on your own, resolve your difficulties on your own, make yourself successful in ministry or life or whatever it is on your own. That's the American church today. We're like the guy pushing the truck who doesn't understand that he has a powerful motor and all he has to do is get inside and start the truck. How can I be filled with the Holy Spirit every day. I want us to use this text as the one to kind of lay the foundation for this entire series. Because I believe that everything we're going to talk about over the next seven weeks, everything we're going to discuss is rooted on this truth that you and I can be, must be, desperately need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How can I be filled with the Holy Spirit every day? The first word I want to give you is longing. I'm really not giving you a formula. But I am giving you the things that need to be present in your life in order for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The first one is longing. Look at what Jesus says in verse 37. If anyone thirsts, if anyone thirsts, notice the word thirst. The entire human race suffers from a deep longing 
and dissatisfaction inside them that is never fulfilled. And the essence of sin, apart from the fact that we don't bring glory to God and we don't live in such a way that honors him, the essence of sin is trying to live my life in a way God never intended me to live it. I was made to live in union with God. I was made to live for him. I was made to live in him, through him. You and I were made for that. But apart from him, there's this gnawing sense of lack and want on the inside. And my efforts to deal with that, whether I'm a Christian or not a Christian, my efforts to deal with that sense of lack is what causes sin to rear its head. Now, in Galatians that we finished studying last Sunday night, we talked about the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. Now, when the Spirit's in a person's life, we can say that their thirst has been satisfied. When the Spirit is not in control in a person's life, they are thirsty and they are not satisfied. What happens is this, Galatians 5, 19 to 21, just listen. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Adultery, not satisfied. Fornication, not satisfied. Uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions. I could go on and on. All of those are things that erupt in you and me when we are not satisfied. And the irony of it is when we do those things, we're still not satisfied. That's why what's happening in our courts right now is never going to be the end of the story. Because it won't be enough to satisfy. It's always something else. It's always going to be one more thing, one more liberty, one more freedom, one more opportunity to pursue my happiness. Not satisfied. How do satisfied people live? Who can say my life is full? I have everything I need. He is all I need. Well, the fruit of the Spirit is described in Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Only the satisfied person has those things flowing from their life. Only a satisfied person can live that way. So you can always tell when you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. You thirst. You're not satisfied. Something else out there is required to make you happy. This is what the psalmist meant when he said, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. There's nothing else I need. (laughs) If he's my shepherd, I am satisfied. When he is in you and you know him from within, you are not thirsty. And so if we're going to be filled with the Spirit daily, one of the first things you and I have to do is listen to the voices of satisfaction and dissatisfaction in our own soul. Until you recognize this longing for more in yourself, you can't be filled with the Spirit. Jesus says, anyone who is thirsty, let anyone who is thirsty. So it begins with a longing or a thirst to be filled with the Spirit. But there's more. Secondly, I'm going to use the word coming. It says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. We see that in verse 37. What does it mean to come to Jesus? Well, very simple. You know that you're thirsty. You know you have a great longing in your soul. You realize that no one and nothing else can quench your thirst. So you go to Jesus and you look to him to satisfy you alone. Now, if you're like me and I'm always kind of talking back when someone is talking to me, at least in this kind of a setting, I'm listening and I'm asking questions and I'm thinking. So to be filled with the Spirit 
You're saying, Pastor, I need to bring my thirst to Jesus. Well, that sounds easy enough. Well, hold on there. How easy is it to bring your thirst to Jesus? Let me ask you this. Why would you want to be filled with the Spirit? Why do you want to be filled with the Spirit? If you come to him and you say, Lord, I realize I'm thirsty, I I have want, I have desire, and so I'm coming to you, and I'm saying, Lord, I want you to fill me with your Spirit because I want to be a great preacher. I want you to fill me with my Spirit because I want to be a great husband or dad. I want you to fill me with your Spirit so I can overcome this sin in my life. I want you to fill me with your Spirit so I can be successful in life. Whatever it is, you know, you just fill in the blank. Why do you want to be filled with the Spirit? And, and you and I can come to him and we can say, Lord, fill me with your Spirit so I can fill in the blank. And I can honestly say to you that the Holy Spirit at that point in time is not responding to you. He's not. When Jesus taught us about who the Holy Spirit is, he said in John 16, verse 14, he teaches in, in chapter 14 and 15 and 16 who the Holy Spirit is. But when he comes to verse Uh, Chapter 16, verse 14, this is what he says, just just very simple statement. He says, he will glorify me. He will glorify me. No, I don't want to be filled with the Spirit so I can be seen as a great preacher or teacher or husband or wife or whoever I need to be. I don't want to just be filled with the Spirit so I can be successful, so I can overcome sin. I need to be filled with the Spirit so I can glorify him and bring honor to him. And if you and I come for any other reason, you're wasting your time. If you are interested in his glory, the Spirit won't fill you in me. When I come to him, I'm leaving behind every other thing in the universe that I think could satisfy me. I think if I was successful, I'd be satisfied, so I'm going to ask the Lord to fill me. I think if I was uh, seen as a great husband, I... I'd be satisfied. If I had a great marriage, I'd be satisfied. If I had a great job, I'd be satisfied. And if we come to him thinking we're going to find our happiness in anything else, well, that's going to cause us, when it happens, we say, well, I have this great job. Praise the Lord. Well, that sounds good, but, but I'm telling everybody I'm finding my satisfaction in this or that. I'm finding my happiness in these other things. These things bring me joy. So when you come to Jesus, when he says, if any of you thirst, you come to Come to me. He's saying you're forgetting anything else that might satisfy you. You're just going to come and find satisfaction to me. And in doing that, you're going to bring glory to me. I have found in Jesus everything I need in my life. Take everything else away. I have Jesus. I am satisfied. Then the Holy Spirit can fill you when you're determined to bring Jesus glory with your whole life. Let me take this a little bit deeper. I brought with me a bottle. And uh, I heard that. Um, I finished this this morning before I came here, empty bottle, and um, if I take the lid off of it, because it's empty, for the most part it's empty, um, it has air in it, and if I were to ask you the question, how do you take all of the air out of this bottle? Think about it. How would you remove all of the air out of this bottle? You say, well, if you're scientifically minded, you might say, well, Don, what you need to do is attach a vacuum to it and suck all the air out of it. Well, I can tell you right now, this, this dude is not going to let you create a vacuum in it. It's going to crush it. You'll destroy it. 
So how do you remove all the air? Well, you fill it up with water. If it's filled with water, there's no more air. Now, you could get technical with me. Please don't. <laughs> you fill it up with water, there's no more air. The, the key is removing all of the air pockets, all of the spaces with something else. Pouring the water into it removes all the air. The Spirit cannot fill you if you're keeping any part of your life closed off from Him. If there's a part of your life that you're keeping the door shut, and you're saying, Lord, fill me with your Spirit, but I don't want you to touch this area. I don't want you to fill this area. I don't want you to be my satisfaction in this area of my life. I'm going to have this secret place of, of pleasure that's apart from you, and I'm going to keep that away from you. And so it's a little compartment. You know, John the Baptist said that he was baptizing with water, but he said Jesus would baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And the neat thing about the word baptize, some of you have been around long enough, you know this, is in the original language, baptize, baptizo, only means one thing. It means to immerse, to completely submerge. And he says, I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You know, it's really hard to baptize somebody if they're wearing floaties. It really is. If they're wearing a life preserver and we had to baptize them, David, it'd be really hard to do, wouldn't it? be hard to put them under. Why? Because there's all this air and stuff that won't let the water cover the person, submerge the person. And so you and I need to open up all the doors of our heart. Truly, to come to Him means to surrender everything that I think would bring me satisfaction and look to Him and Him only for my satisfaction. Longing is the second thing. And so we have to recognize that inner longing. And then when we, we need to look to Him and Him alone to satisfy that longing. But there's a third thing that filling requires. Drinking. Drinking. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Drinking is this. I believe that drinking is welcoming the Holy Spirit into your life every day. It is letting him and his agenda be the only thing that matters. In John chapter 4, verse 13 and 14, earlier in, um, in this gospel, Jesus meets the woman by the well. You remember her? And my goodness, what a troubled life she had lived. Some of you can identify with that. And Jesus answered her and said to her, John 4, 13, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him, look at those next three words, will never thirst. But the water that I give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up in everlasting life. Jesus said that we would never thirst. That there is within you and me the capacity for that gnawing emptiness to be addressed every moment of the rest of your life. Never thirst. It's possible for you to be so satisfied in Jesus Christ, to experience so much satisfaction in him, that you never want for anything else again. You're content. You actually experience contentment, a quietness in your soul, ready just to enjoy him, to be satisfied in him. And if that's the case, why are so Many of us thirsty. Why is the American church so thirsty? We want more and more. 
and we baptize it in Christian terminology and we baptize it in Christian verses and we baptize it in all kind of stuff. But what we're saying is I want more. How many pastors I know, I can talk about pastors, who are not satisfied in Christ. They're dissatisfied with their ministry because it's not meeting their expectations and they want more. Now, there is such a thing as a holy dissatisfaction, but I, I gotta be honest with you, it's a long time, it's a long time since I've seen holy dissatisfaction. It's a success mindset. It's a desire to be successful, to prove that I'm worthy to others, to gain admiration, respect, whatever it is. I'm just kind of opening the door on, on, on pastors. What would that door be like in your life? What are you thinking in your mind that it's going to take to make you happy, to make you, to make you satisfied? Jesus said, if you drink of this thing that I put inside you, you will never thirst. All of that goes away. All of that, all of that stops. And so what's required for you and me in, to stop thirsting is to start drinking. The thirst that you and I require is a constant supply. This thing that he has put inside you never stops. It is relentless. It is never enough without him. And it's always there. And the moment you stop drinking, you're going to thirst. The moment you stop receiving his fullness, you're going to thirst. You're going to want more. You're not going to be satisfied. You're going to hurt yourself or someone else. So my recommendation is this. Go before the Lord each day. Stay there until you are satisfied in Him. Bring Him all your anxieties. Bring Him all of your worries. Bring Him all of your burdens. Bring Him everything that needs to change in your mind. Bring Him all the things that burden your soul. Bring Him all of it and stay before Him until you are satisfied. You have drunk from Him and you have received from Him. And then you get up. Keep drinking. Keep drinking. He's always with you. The moment you and I stop drinking, we start wanting. And so keep drinking. And you may need to do things to remind yourself through the day, to just stop and close the door somewhere, get in the car, bow your head and pray, say, oh God, you are my satisfaction. You are my source of fullness. Everything I need is in you. Drinking. And then there's a fourth thing, believing, believing. We've got to recognize inner longing. I've got to look to him, and him alone is the one who can satisfy my, my thirst. I need to drink, and it's present tense. I need to drink continuously. And similarly, this word believing is present tense. He who is believing in me. He who is believing in me. So there's a daily and an ongoing and a continual believing it's not what I trusted him for in the past. It's not that I was saved in 1978 or 58 or 48. It's not, it's not what I believed for him in the past. It's that I'm trusting him right now, actively, 24-7, continuously, believing in him for what? Well, he tells us in verse 38, he who believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers, rivers of living water. Goodness, not only does this fountain exist in the human heart 
that can meet every need we have in every moment, no matter where you are or what you're experiencing. But that same fountain flows out of your life as a mighty river, and it affects everyone around you. And believing produces that. In Ephesians chapter 5, 18, we have the verse that we, we, uh, we actually draw this phrase, being filled with the Spirit. We draw it from this. Ephesians 5, 18, he says, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, we've taught on this before. You've heard this before. When someone is driving down the road, Brother, Brother Hill here could answer that question. Someone's driving down the road and they weave over the line a little bit. Now, they might just be texting. But if he gets them out and he, he does some kind of sobriety test, I don't know how y'all do it now. If he does some kind of sobriety test, discovers that they have an alcohol content in their bloodstream, he's going to be charged or she's going to be charged with what? Driving under the influence or while intoxicated, DWI or DUI. Don't be drunk with wine, he says but rather be filled with the Spirit. Why does he use that analogy? Of all the things he could have used, why does Jesus choose that analogy? Because when you're under the influence of alcohol, well, you're under its direction. You're under its control. When you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit, what should be happening? I should be under his influence. I should be under his control. And there's two things in particular that show up in the grammar here. Uh, first, when he says be filled with the Spirit, it's passive. It's something being done to you and done to me. So there has to be a passive permission. If he's saying be filled with the Spirit, I've got to allow him to do it. I've got to allow him to do it. There's also a, a continuous sense. It, if it means to be being filled, to, to continuously permit it to happen. So there has to be a continuous submission to him, a continual offering to him. Lord, you are my satisfaction. And all I want to do is bring glory to your name. Fill me, Lord. Take me. Use me. Well, Paul goes on in that passage. If we don't have time to read it, we might look at it tonight. But, but Paul goes on to describe the areas in your life that are radically different when you're filled with the Spirit. And what's interesting here is none of the things that sometimes we emphasize about the fullness of the Spirit show up here. Uh, there's no speaking in tongues. There's no phenomenal activity. There's no particular miracle that's being described, a, a manifestation of the Spirit in some miraculous way. None of that appears here. I believe in all those things, but none of those things appear here. What's described is, is your walk in church. And you can read this on your own this afternoon. Just, just go to Ephesians 5.18 and start reading and keep reading. He describes your life in church, speaking to one another in hymns and songs, making melody in your hearts to the Lord, to the Lord. He talks about your worship walk. He talks about your walk in your marriage. Wives, submit to your husbands. You know, it takes a, a spirit-filled woman to, to grasp and do that. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. It takes a spirit-filled man. To love his wife as Christ loved the church. Children, obey your parents to the Lord. Fathers, bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It takes a spirit-filled family for that to work. He, says, he talks about servants being obedient to their masters, masters being kind to their servants. It takes a spirit-filled person to go to the workplace and bring glory to Jesus. 
in all of these practical areas of life, what is he saying? He's saying you need to find satisfaction in Christ that spills over into every other area of your life. As a husband, as a wife, as a worshiper, as a church member, as as just a guy or a gal in the workplace, I need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Well, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Are you willing to come to Jesus and only Jesus to satisfy your thirst? Are you willing to drink continuously of that satisfaction, finding that always in him? The moment I find myself dissatisfied, to go to him and drink. Am I willing to believe him continuously that he's going to do this? That's so important, to simply trust him. Sometimes we get the idea that if I am filled with the Holy Spirit, there's going to be a great emotional response in me. Well, there might be. There have been many times in my life where I have had dramatic, for me, word, a word from the Lord, reading scripture, listening to a sermon um, in a prayer time, and the Lord speaks, and there's great emotion. There are other times I say, Lord, I'm uh, getting ready to meet with this person, and we're going to have this conversation. Lord, I just confess to you, I need you. You alone can enable me to talk to this person. And, and it's that help me Jesus prayer I've told you about. And, and I don't feel anything sometimes when I ask him to do that. I don't, I don't feel something. But I simply trust him. And it says the one who's believing in him, it's out of his heart that, that rivers of water will flow. You see? It's this constant believing. So it's just resting him, trusting him. You said, Lord, that if I would look to you, you would, like rivers of water, flow through me. And affect others. I saw this illustration years ago um, at a Southern Baptist pastors conference, and Adrian Rogers did it. So he believed in the filling of the Spirit too. How about that? And um, and let me let me borrow that illustration and use that this morning. Okay, uh, here's my coat. It is it is warm to wear it, but here it is. I brought it. Okay, and uh, and so I'm going to set it right there. And um, and this is an amazing coat almost magical. I want you to watch and see this, okay? Coat, stand up. Hmm. Coat, lift up that bottle off the floor. Coat, get up and move over there. Not much happens, does it? And, um, and yet, if I put the coat on, this special coat, magic coat, and I put it on. Give me a second. Get tangled in my wires here. Okay? I put the coat on. I say, Coat, stand up. Coat, pick up that bottle. Picked up. Coat, go over there. The coat goes over there. And you say, Well, Don, that's silly. You made the coat do all that. That's it isn't it? That's it. It's not me. It's not you. When the Holy Spirit fills you and me, and we trust him, we're believing him to fill us and use us so that rivers of water flow through us, and you talk to someone and they receive Christ, you teach a lesson and someone's helped. You, um, you talk to your spouse and you work out a, a disagreement. You, you minister to your son or your daughter and their life is impacted, 
or something good happens through you, God uses you in some way, is it you? No. It's not you. It's not me. It's the Holy Spirit who lives in you, who wants not only to satisfy you, but use you to display that satisfaction to others and to cause them to find their thirst quenched in Christ, in him. Let me ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. Are you thirsty? What is it that you think you've got to have to make you happy? What do you think it's going to take to quiet the ongoing nagging longing and emptiness in your own heart? Jesus said he could do it. Jesus told the woman at the well who kept trying to find love in all the wrong places, married five times, living with a man who was not her husband at that very moment, Jesus said, I've got something that can satisfy that thirst. It's not, a, it's not a, another human man, but I've got water to give you that will satisfy you your entire life. This morning, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ, the beginning is right there to come to Christ believing that he'll forgive you for your sins because of his death on the cross. Believing that he can change your life when no one else can, not even you. Coming to Christ, putting your trust in him to satisfy you, to change you from the inside out. In just a moment when we stand and sing, there'll be pastors here to counsel with you. Standing at the head of each aisle, they're here to pray with you and to read scripture with you they'll answer your questions you don't have to take our word for it you can read it in God's word you can be forgiven the process of change can begin today if you come to Christ brother or sister are you filled with the spirit you know before a person can be filled with the spirit they have to have the Holy Spirit they have to be born again And if you know you've trusted Christ and he is your Lord and Savior and you know that you've been born again, then then are you being filled with the Spirit? Are you living your life out of the well of satisfaction that he's put inside you in his Spirit? If not, this morning, would you just turn to him? In your soul, in that quiet place where only you and he talk, would you turn to him and say, Lord, Forgive me for seeking happiness everywhere but you. I want you to fill my life. Forgive me. I look to you alone. I surrender all that I am. I'm going to stop looking anywhere else. I'll ask you to fill me. Use me. Make my life count. Enable me to bring glory to God with the rest of my days. Our Father and God, we thank you that you speak to us through your word. Thank you for this amazing way of life that you have offered to us as your children. Teach us that it's not an option, but you have called us to this, to walk in your spirit, to walk in your fullness. Forgive us for the many times, many days where we have not. And Lord, as we respond to you now, Holy Spirit, guide us, speak to us, convince us, Fill us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.